A few months ago when I was leaving the grocery store, I saw on my right a whole bunch of very pretty wreaths that I could hang on my doors at Christmas season. And I remember thinking to myself, if I really wanted one, I could probably take it. And if somebody asked me, you know, oh, well, did you pay for it? I could just say, oh yeah, I let them know at the desk inside that I wanted one, so I paid for it inside and I'm all set. I knew that they wouldn't ask to see my receipt, that they would trust me. I'm a pretty trustworthy face and everything else, and I could probably get away with stealing a wreath and not have to pay the $20 or whatever it was that they were charging. Did I do it? No. Does that make me a thief? No. Our temptations do not define us. And this is shown when Jesus himself is tempted in the desert by Satan. He was tempted, but he was not defined by his temptation. The devil tried to get him to want more power. He said, if you submit to me, I will make you ruler over everything that you can see from this mountain. And Jesus tells him, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And But... The devil was trying to get him to give into a power-hungry, prideful situation there. And just because Jesus might have been tempted or the devil was trying to make him feel that way, it doesn't mean that Jesus himself experienced pride or was prideful. And especially because he did not engage in it, it very clearly never turns from temptation to sin. Hi, I'm Allie Marie. This is my Catholic Perspective. We are currently doing a book study on Aquinas' Lenten Meditations. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, day five, and we're talking about how it was fitting that Jesus Christ should be tempted. And there are several reasons that this is to be, right? For First and foremost, it's so that we know that he can assist us in our own temptations. But also, it tells us that no matter how holy somebody is, they are still subject to be tempted. It doesn't mean that they're no longer perfect. Just because the wiles of this world can feel tempting, it doesn't mean that we have to give into it. In here, he quotes St. Hilary, who says the devil's wiles are especially directed to trap us at times when we have recently been made holy because the devil desires no victory so much as a victory over the world of grace. So when we're in the state of grace, when we finally say the alcoholic hasn't had a drink in 30 days and is celebrating that, when somebody who is typically angry celebrates a year anniversary of never being angry, it's then that the devil is going to try to sneak in there and be like, oh, you think you've got this under control? You think that you have this? Okay, well, I'll show you and I'll give you a situation that'll really tempt you. I know several people who say, never pray for patience because then God will give you the situations to practice that patience that you are trying to perfect. So no one is too holy to be tempted. It's always something that will be there. When Eve was tempted in the garden, she was tempted before she ever sinned. The temptation was there. The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil always existed in the center of the garden. That temptation always existed. There just wasn't a desire most of the time to even pursue it. It was just like, oh, no, that's there. I don't need that, right? Somebody who doesn't experience the temptation for something isn't going to feel as inclined toward it. There may be someone in the world that hates people, hates someone so much that they want to kill them, right? And it is hard for them to withstand that temptation to kill them, Whereas somebody like myself, I'm sorry, but I have never felt the inclination to kill somebody, um, I don't feel burdened by the commandment, thou shalt not kill. 
there are people in the world that feel burdened from that temptation because there's something within them that feels drawn toward that that makes it harder for them to overcome that temptation. Obviously, I have a little bit harder of a time um, with like, do not steal. I remember the I stole once when I was in seventh grade. I was with a friend. We put on some undergarments under our shirts and we left the store with them. And I remember knowing it was wrong, um, but I got away with it. I don't think my parents ever knew that I had stolen or anything else. I think I was likely ignorant of um, how bad stealing truly was. I probably had been taught not to do it, uh, which is why I knew it wasn't good. But the ramifications, was it a grave matter that I stole it? I don't know. But we all have different vices in our past that we have struggled with. And as we progress in growing in virtue, some of those things are going to sneak up on us. Um, And this is just to show that you don't even have to have those past vices in the same way that Eve didn't have a past vice prior to consuming the apple that she was told not to, in the same way that Jesus was perfect without sin, and yet he was still tempted, withstood the temptation, and remained perfect. So he is there in service for us to help us overcome whatever temptations it is that we experience ourselves if we choose to turn to him. In Mark chapter 7 verses 21 through 22, it shows us that sin has to be an outward engagement. So we have Jesus talking to the Pharisees about how Nothing that comes from outside of the man can defile him, but rather it's what comes out of a man. What Nothing that goes into a man, nothing that is outside of, nothing that goes into a man can defile him. It is what comes out. So in verse um, 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, which is basically sexual promiscuity or lewdness, um, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a man. So these temptations that are outside of ourselves, that are coming in, they do not define us. It's what ends up coming out of us that defines us. What are we choosing to engage in? What are we choosing to say, okay, I know that this might not be very good, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know that this is against the word of the Lord, but it can't be that bad. I know that this is something that I probably shouldn't choose, but I haven't done it in so long. It probably will be okay. I'll just be able to bounce right back to this record that I've had. You know, it'll be not a big deal just for tonight. God doesn't view it that way. In fact, he has a parable that tells us he who takes his hand from the plow is not is not fit for the kingdom of God. Once you've put your hand to the plow, you are to not look back. You are to continue to work to grow toward holiness. That your hand is on the plow and you are continually going. You have found the path and you know how to stay on it. You know how to access God. You know where your Bible is. You know what it is that God is calling you to and yet You're maybe on that path for a while, then you say, oh, hey, you know, eh, this isn't really for me. I'm going to go give this a try. Jesus himself says that somebody who does that is not fit for the kingdom of God. We are called to fullness of dedication, fullness of devotion. We are called to leave everything that we have, right? Sell all that you have and follow me, Jesus says, and then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm a Protestant at heart, right? I was raised Protestant, converted to Catholicism at 21, and I am such a firm believer in conditional baptisms. It's probably not even doctrinal, honestly, because I'm just like, if I see someone on the side of the road and they want to be baptized, like I can give them a conditional baptism as long as I do the form correctly. It's in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they truly desire it. I can say you should seek a priest or, you know, my babies. I always give them a conditional baptism the moment they come out. And I know that that would be valid should something happen prior to our ability to get to a priest to have it formally declared. Whether or not the church acknowledges that is a great question. Um, But I trust in the mercy of God. I pray for his mercy on me. I pray for his mercy in so many situations. Um... But as it is, that is a little bit of a tangent, but but it is through baptism that we receive the grace to receive the Holy Spirit in our hearts, that we become true, like the Holy Spirit dwells in the temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The question is, is, is the Holy Spirit dwelling there or not? Have you invited the Holy Spirit to dwell in the temple that you are? Or are you choosing to engage in these temptations that you know are against the commands of God because he, Jesus says, he who loves me will follow my commands, which I have another little song for you. I sang it a lot growing up again, raised Protestant. So, um, it's the 10 commandments. Number one, we've just begun. God should be first in your life. Number two's the idol rule. Those graven images aren't nice. Number three, God's name should be never spoken in jest. Number four, the Sabbath for our worship and our rest. Number five, we all should strive to honor father and mother. Number six, don't get your kicks from killing one another. Number seven, life is heaven when you're true to your mate. Number eight, don't steal, don't break this rule for goodness sake. Number nine, don't be the kind who goes around telling lies. Number ten, don't covet when you see your neighbor's house or wife. That's the list that God insists, so stay away from these sins. That is why we memorize commandments one through ten. The perfect ten, the perfect ten. God used them way back when. The perfect ten, the perfect ten. Let's say them once again again. It's a wonderful way to remember the Ten Commandments. I remember it was actually a challenge that we all had to memorize the Ten Commandments and everyone recited it from the Bible as a group, but I still got the award because I stood up and I sang that song in front of everybody, the whole congregation and whoever was there. Um, and that was my version of the Ten Commandments that I knew and how I remembered them. So um, so it's a beautiful thing just to know the, the commandments that God has for us, which can all be summarized in love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which we have to love ourselves as Christ loves us before we can love our neighbor as Christ loves us, right? Um, And how Christ loves them. And we have to know what that means, what love means with the willing, the good of self, and that loving God means following his commandments. He who loves me will follow my commands. So we love God with all our soul, mind, and strength, body, mind, soul, strength, 
right? And um, and so we're called to follow all of those commandments. And um, just remember, Jesus also knew the commandments. He knew what it was that the Father was asking of all of his people. And he too faced temptation just as Adam and Eve in the desert did, and just as we do every day. And he's just sitting there waiting for you to seek him for strength to overcome whatever commandment it is that you are struggling to overcome. Turn to him, him, ask for his help, and tomorrow we will talk about why Christ had to be tempted in the desert, why it actually necessitated everything surrounding what it meant for him to wander the desert for these 40 days, for these 40 nights that we now consider Lent. God bless you. Enjoy your Sunday, and I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Take care.